in mid-June of 2020 in response to our efforts to begin to publicize this fact that this was coming in and there was going to be a planned expansion of this plant. In fact, the notice of the plant that was put in the paper said that emissions will increase. And so, you know, that got people's attention, of course. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the In Our Backyard podcast with your host, Jen Galler. This is the Blue Ridge Environmental Defense Leaks podcast, where I discuss environmental issues that are happening right in our backyards. This episode, I talk with Court Lewis, who is president of the executive committee of Unicoi Clear, and they're fighting an asphalt company called Summers Taylor Material Corps that has revisited its application for an air quality permit to expand operations at the former construction asphalt paving services plant in Unicoi, Tennessee. The town of Unicoi joined in the request for a public hearing in June of 2020, following a Unicoi Planning Commission meeting in which town residents addressed concerns including an increase in emissions beyond those permitted by the state since the plant began operations in the 1990s, increases in noise and truck traffic that could negatively impact property values, detrimental impacts on quality of life, health, and property values of residents of more than 100 families who live near the plant, TDEC's failure to publish a notice of Summer Taylor's initial application for a permit to expand operations in Unicoi, and finally, Summer Taylor's purchase of property adjoining the plant and town zoning ordinances that prohibit asphalt plants outside the two-acre cap sites. With Court, we discuss Unicoi Clear and why they formed as a group, rezoning of the site, public health and environmental impacts of asphalt plants, proximity of the asphalt plant to residents, and how you can support their work. To contact and connect with Court will be in the show notes below, and I hope you enjoyed the episode. So hi, everyone. I'm with Court Lewis, who is president of the executive committee of Unicoi Clear. And just my first question is, can you give me some background on Unicoi Clear and why you all started as a group? Sure. Hi, Jen. Thanks for having us on or me on, I guess, and representing us. And so Unicoi Clear is in Unicoi, Tennessee, which is a little town just south of uh, Johnson City, Tennessee. And back in, I guess, May of 2020, one of our friends found, who's a real estate agent and is always looking for foreclosures and that kind of thing, found in the back of the local paper a notice about an asphalt plant that had applied for an air permit from the state of Tennessee to operate in our area. It was a request for, you know, kind of a notice as they put in the paper to solicit public comment. And if they had enough comment, then they would have a public hearing about it. And so she sent that to us because we live half a mile from the site where this would be. I'm looking out my window of my office now at the side of Buffalo Mountain, which is a nice treed mountain. And this company had bought up a lot of land there. Now, there was an existing small asphalt plant there at that site, and it had barely been being used for the last many years. It was put in place to pave I-26 back in the 1993-94 timeframe, and in recent years was just, you know, just operating a little bit to serve local needs and pave short sections of street and that kind of thing. We knew it was there, but we never smelled it or heard it or anything of this sort. But all of a sudden, this is a very big company that had bought that plant some months before and was applying to a different kind of plant. The old plant was a batch plant. This is a double drum mixed plant. If people listening know the difference between the two, they're two very different kinds of asphalt. The batch plant is more for, oh, it's like it, like it implies, it's like making a batch of brownies. You mix it up in, in a small amount and whatever you need, and then you use that and then you shut it down. Mm. But a, a double drum mixed plant, another name for it is a continuous plant and it runs continually and it's geared to serving very large scale high demand needs like 
paving an interstate or repaving an interstate. And so that got the ball rolling when we realized that. And we looked on the Tennessee Division of Air Pollution Control called TDAPSI. I'm going to use that acronym from now on. Mm. But they're part of TDEC, which is the Tennessee Department of Environmental Conservation. And TDAPSI issues air permits to plants of all kinds that are polluting industries, basically. And uh, whether it's an incinerator or a recycling plant or, or an asphalt plant or whatever it might be. So we looked at their website and saw that this company had already been issued one permit, that is to move a different plant to this site. And that had flown under the radar because the notice for it was published in a, the newspaper of a different city, two counties away, which I guess from Nashville appeared to be the same locale. I'm not sure, but that permit had already been issued. And suddenly this was a second permit that was being proposed for. So we got engaged in at that point. And this area is even though it's zoned agricultural, it's very residential. And we eventually got the tax assessor of the county to count up, do a hand count, which was very nice of her, to count the number of homes within one mile of this plant. And this is a half circle, given that the plant would be located on the side of a mountain and there are no houses behind it. So in front of it for a half circle, within one mile, there are 550 homes, right? And you know, it's a rural area, but it's a town and it's a residential area, right? And this would be right on the edge of it. So we got going and uh, we didn't really form a group quite yet, but we just had kind of an informal neighborhood association. And we went around and got people to write in letters in response to this notice in the paper to Tadapsi and question this plan. So it ended up leading to a public hearing in mid-November 2020 that Tadapsi put on. And by that time we had formed Unicoi Clear. And we had not yet joined Brettle at that point, but we had formed Unicoi Clear. We had a growing number of people. Uh, I guess it's uh, now over a hundred people who are involved in Unicoi Clear, but it started off with at least 50 people. And we canvassed the nearby neighborhoods in an organized way a couple of times and passed out flyers and talked with people and built up a group that way in terms of the people who are interested in getting more information and in various ways, getting engaged with us. So that's the beginning, the launching of, of Unicoi Clear leading up to a public hearing in mid-November, and it's gone on certainly from there. Yeah, that's great. And yeah, you talked about the proximity of the asphalt plant to these residential areas. So you said it was like half a mile from your house. And how many other houses or you know people around the asphalt plant are there? Well, as I say, there were 550 homes within a mile and mm. we're at a half mile, by no means the closest. There is one homeowner adjoins the property, uh, abuts right up next to it. And there are a number that are within a few hundred yards of it. And, and, you know, and coming outward, you hit the first subdivision at about a little under half mile, about four tenths of a mile or so, but you know, it's, it's very close. And so what happened here too, then is that in November, administration of the town changed to an administration that's much more industrial friendly than the previous one. The previous one had been more oriented toward light and light retail and ecotourism and putting in things that would that were compatible with the, the natural beauty of our area. I mean, we're literally in the Cherokee National Forest here and on the edge of the Blue Ridge. You know, as I say, there's a mountain I'm looking at my window at a half mile away called Buffalo Mountain, and it runs down in a range into North Carolina. Oh gosh, we're probably only half an hour north of the North Carolina line, about 50 minutes north of Asheville. So the new administration began even before that. There was It's a little complicated. The, the two-acre parcel that the former plant that I mentioned, the batch plant, was on, was grandfathered in for asphalt operations because they began operating just before the town was incorporated in 1994. And then shortly after the town was incorporated, because there was kind of an uproar about this asphalt plant getting going and, and paving the interstate at the time, the town did a comprehensive zoning plan and also put in place an ordinance specifically prohibiting asphalt plants in the future. Mm -hmm. 
and also another ordinance prohibiting cement plants. And so those were done to head off any future expansion of this operation, even though, as I say, it was grandfathered in on this two acre parcel. And so that was running. And the first public meeting, not the public hearing I mentioned in November, but the first local meeting was a board of mayor and alderman meeting in mid-June of 2020 that was held partly in response to our efforts to begin to publicize this fact that this was coming in and there was going to be a planned expansion of this plant. In fact, the notice of the plant that was put in the paper said that emissions will increase. And so you know, that got people's attention, of course. And so the president of this this company, it's a very large asphalt company, 80-year-old company that's pretty dominant in Northeast Tennessee, really, and has gained, you know, a near monopoly, really, of, of asphalt operations in Northeast Tennessee. And they're, they're well-established and, you know, highly connected. And, you know, as companies get over a period of time, once they get established uh, very, very strongly and firmly, they begin to embed themselves in the community through philanthropy and different kinds of activities that make their company be looked well upon by local leaders. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah. so our administration at the time didn't understand really what was planned exactly. So we had a meeting and brought the president of that company was invited to speak. And, oh, there's kind of a PR playbook that the Asphalt Industries Association, I guess, of America has and promulgates uh, through their workshops. And so if you look through it, it's kind of funny that the, the things that asphalt company leaders say are straight out of that PR playbook. <laughs> and so without going into them all, but kind of things like, you know, we're, we plan to be a good neighbor and things like that, just kind of general warm and fuzzy, nice things. Things, but mm-hmm. in reality, throughout, I'm not talking about this particular company, but throughout the Southeast and really the country, what happens when companies do get into these small towns and kind of roll over the local population and administration, they kind of come in flying under the low under the radar if they can. And, and when they get in, then they do pretty much whatever they want to do and dare the town or municipality's uh, government to do anything about it. That's often what happens. You know, I'm not saying it always happens, but it's often what happens. And so we were aware of that and trying to basically stay ahead of that and get ahead of that train and be in the position of trying to catch up to the train later when it's way down the track. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, so we stayed pretty active with the town and with the new administration being more industry friendly and more proactive toward industry. We've been basically pushing back against the town, trying at first to be as diplomatic as we could and not seem to be the adversary, because that's often what happens as you probably know that, environmental groups begin to be viewed by an industry-friendly government group as being the enemy yeah, <laughs> rather than mm-hmm. the people they actually represent, rather than actually the constituents that they were, who elected them and to represent them. Mm-hmm. Instead, they view them as the enemy and it gets to be that way. So I'm aware of that. And we were trying not to be that, but over time, just inevitably you get into that kind of us and them sort of situation, whether you like it or not. And especially that happens when you have any kind of legal counsel. And at a certain point, you know, of course the company has lawyers and the town has a town attorney. And this was getting to be more and more legal about what could be done in terms of expanding their operation from that two acres that I mentioned. So we did engage an attorney who is someone who's worked with Brettel in the past and who's a land use and zoning attorney out of Asheville, who's an expert in this field, whereas the town attorney here is just a generalist attorney, is not a land use expert as such. You know, their specialties just like there are in medicine and people specialize in different things. It might be tax law or you know, corporate law, or, or in this case, zoning law and land use law. So as soon as we engaged him, and he, he wrote a letter or two to the town to 
kind of explain the situation. And suddenly from the town's position, we had lawyered up and that made us kind of the adversary. So it's unfortunate that it works that way, but it just seems to be the way these things go. So the company bought much more than the two acres, along with the two acres they bought an adjoining 10.2 acre parcel that the previous owner had also owned, but had not used for asphalt operations. And then this large company that I mentioned also had previously owned two smaller parcels nearby, totaling three acres. So the totally they now owned was 15 acres. So from two acres, it looked like they were wanting to expand to 15 acres. So a series of things ensued that the town was trying. The company first came before the planning commission, actually, of the town with a proposal to zone their entire 15 acres as heavy industrial. So right now it's zoned agricultural. So to go from agricultural to heavy industrial. And the planning commission, to their credit, unanimously denied that request. But since that time, it's been sort of turbulent and various kinds of twists and turns in the, in the road because the town government has been looking at alternative ways to allow the company to make that expansion or at least some part of that expansion without rezoning the land agricultural because there was quite a hue and cry from all of the surrounding residents in terms of rezoning from agricultural. In effect, it's residential because people, you know, there are a large number of homes on this agriculturally zoned land, but rezoning it from agricultural to heavy industrial and with who knows what kind of operations could take place then because the town would almost lose control of what could be done there. I mean, they could put in any, any number of other kinds of industrial operations or expand to a larger degree. The state only allows you to have one asphalt plant in one place, but there could be other kinds of industrial operations there. So we've been trying to, again, keep ahead of a moving target here and push back against the proposals to do various kinds of things that would do what I just described. And we don't know yet where it will all end. We've been at this for about 11 months now. And we did join Brettel at the end of January. We looked around and talked to different other organizations and, you know, explored different avenues of what we could do as an organization ourselves, and finally decided that the best and most attractive option for us was to join Brettel with the resources that Brettel offers. And in particular, one thing that was very attractive was allowing us to come in as a 501c3 under Brettel's 501c3 status. You know, therefore donations to us could be tax deductible and we could open a bank account more easily, you know, without having to use one of our personal names as a you know, the bank account owner and that kind of thing. So but then also just the advice and experience of the uh, different chapters of Brettel and Lou Zeller in particular, the executive director, have been just very, very valuable to us in, in helping us uh, figure out our strategies as we go along. Yeah, you guys have been really proactive in all of this and really just taking it head on. And so what are some of the public health and environmental impacts of asphalt plants with it being so close to all these residential areas? Well, of course, the first thing is the uh, gaseous emissions themselves and any plant. I mean, you know, different plants produce different amounts and types of stuff, but, you know, sulfur dioxide, nitrogen oxide, uh, uh, different kinds of toxic gases, carbon dioxide, and, and a variety of things, some of which you don't even know will be coming out. And most of which is impossible for regular residents to measure, right? Mm -hmm. So one thing is that the plant is permitted at a level of annual asphalt output that allows them to be self-monitoring and self-reporting as far as their gaseous emissions go. So what the state does is just, they look at the plant, the actual plant, and they pretend that it's new, which in this case, it's not. It's a 30-year-old plant. It's been upgraded some, but you know it's a 30-year-old plant. But they take its specs when it was new 30 years ago, and they use that as its output. And then they figure based on the total amount of asphalt, actual product output 
that the plant is allowed to do per year. They figure what the average or total amount of gas is coming out ought to be. And then it's just kind of a table that's produced by the EPA really. And so, you know, it's, it's a technicality, but it doesn't really probably match up with reality very much at all. And certainly residents looking at a plume of gas coming out of a plant are not themselves chemical gas spectrometers. <laughs> They're not able to look at that bunch of gas pouring out of the plant and smell the smell they're smelling and, and tell what's in it, you know? So the whole thing just gets very squishy. So the gaseous emissions are a big thing because they're, they're a health aspect. I mean, there are people here, many people who are older and retired and, you know, some have breathing issues and are on oxygen and that kind of thing. And this will impact them. Then following right on that is the odor, which is part and parcel of the gases, but the state doesn't even regulate odor at all. And so there's that, and that affects your property values. And then there's truck noise and just the general noise of the plant and hours of operation gets to be a thing because we found out at a certain point pretty soon after we got going that what was driving this was that the state is going to repave I-26. And that's why this company bought this plant and this land that's right next to I-26. And they want to be uh, positioned to get that contract, which will be a big contract. So once that starts running, typically interstate work, as you probably know, is done at night. And mm -hmm. when it's done at night, that means that the company, the asphalt producer needs to operate at night because they have to produce the asphalt hot and get it to the site on the interstate where it's going to be applied when it's hot, because when it gets cold, you can't really crush it out and move it out, you know, and, and, and spread it on the, on the road. You know, you can figure that. So hours of operation is a big deal because if they're running all night, then you've got the sound of the crushers and the plant and the, you know, the rock being crushed and the uh, trucks moving and backing up and beep, 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 you know, and all of that noise going on all night long. And, you know, on a nice night, if you live a third of a mile from the operation, there's no way you're going to leave your windows open and be awake all night listening to it. So that's a factor. And then, you know, a variety of other things come into play, like the damage that the trucks do to the local roads, rolling up and down them heavily loaded with asphalt and dropping rock and asphalt onto the roads. And it's a really big operation. There's a large number of trucks making round trips to where the work is going on in the interstate and back. And they bring back wrap, which is reclaimed asphalt pavement that's crushed up from the existing road and then put in the trucks. And then they bring that back and they crush that up and add that to the mix of what's going into the new asphalt. So there's that. And then there's dust mitigation because all these things produce a lot of dust and the trucks going down the road produce dust. And, oh, you know, there's potential groundwater contamination. I mean, there's a whole list of things, uh, you know, just the noise itself, as I mentioned. And one of the things we've produced recently for the town is, is a list of mitigating measures. I mean, we, in our group, we have people with PhDs in biology and, you know, chemists and a lot of really professional people who are knowledgeable about the things that bear on this whole issue, as well as just regular people who, who are smart people who are interested in it and are following it. And so we have a Gmail account where we send out information to our group. We've got an executive committee of uh, six people, as you mentioned, I'm on that. And then we have an advisory committee of about, I think it's 18 people. And then we have a much larger group called Friends of Unicoi Clear. And for the most part, they want to be kept informed of things, but they will participate in things. If we have a public meeting of the town, uh, the planning commission meeting or the board of mayor and alderman meeting, we'll make sure everybody knows about that and what the Zoom link is, if it's a mixture of in-person and, and virtual. And so we get people there to represent the Unicoi Clear and, and also, you know, stand up and speak. And so we have a lot of that going on. And then a lot of people will be on Zoom too. So we try to stay organized and temporarily it's like a small business in a way. You know, I mentioned we have an attorney who advises us. So, you know, some of these things involve some cost. And so we're getting bandanas made and a website put up and, you know, we, we have a social media person. And so, you know, even just designing a logo, for example, it costs some money and getting transcripts made of meetings and things like that. So we uh, solicit donations and sometimes those are get hard to get because, you know, people don't have a lot of money nowadays and 
sometimes the bills can be fairly high. I'd like to give our PayPal address if people listening yeah, uh, definitely. feel inspired to, to donate to Unicoi Clear. It's paypal.me. So it's paypal. the letters M-E and then forward slash Unicoi Clear, all one word. And that's U-N-I-C-O-I-C-L-E-A-R, Unicoi Clear. So paypal.me forward slash Unicoi Clear. And when you click on that, if you have a, a PayPal account, it just goes directly to your PayPal account and it already has our information in there and you can just put in your amount and click and it's done. It's very simple. It takes 10, 15 seconds. Yeah, definitely. My last question is how can people contact or connect with you if they want to do so? Okay, thanks for asking. Yeah, we, we have a, a Gmail account and the address there is unicoi.clear. So again, it's unicoi.clear, C-L-E-A-R at gmail.com and that'll come to us and we'll respond to you. So definitely get in touch and thanks to everybody out there for listening. And thanks to you, Jen and Brettel for doing this podcast. Thank you so much to court for talking with me. If you want to learn more about what's happening in Unicoi County, check out the articles in the show notes below, as well as how to support Unicoi Clear's work and tune in next week for a new episode and have a good week, everyone.